Hello. As we're living in surreal times, with many of us confined to our homes, unable to socialise with friends or family, I thought I would pop back for an impromptu addition to the Mrs M scrapbook. Wherever you are in the world, in whatever state of lockdown, welcome. First, I would like to thank everybody who sent me feedback on my most recent entry in this scrapbook. I always take a deep breath before sharing experiences that expose my own vulnerabilities, and I was touched at how many people responded, not just with empathy, but also that they found support in knowing that they were not alone in their struggles with similar issues. But before we go on, for anybody tuning in for the first time, I'm Meg, and I come to you from a topsy-turvy house in London in the UK. In these Mrs M scrapbook entries, I share random extracts from the making and experiments that make up my everyday. Today's instalment of the scrapbook sees me in the garden and the kitchen. March is the first really busy month in the gardening calendar. That's not to say that there was no activity in February. In the fag end of winter, most of the garden work was structural rather than busying myself with plants and seeds. Several years ago, I would have thought nothing of lifting flagstones and digging out backfill to create more gardening space, but between the fibromyalgia and my first-hand knowledge of our shady garden, I knew I needed to go up, not down. So at the start of the month, Mr M and I built up in the laziest and thriftiest way possible. No matter how long I live with the garden, and how often I think I've stretched its potential to the maximum, Every season I will find a new possibility or a twist to maximise a space, grow vertically, or nudge plants a little more into the light than the year before. Last year I built up the corner by our cucumber bed. This raised bed is about a metre square or approximately half a yard square, and it's at the back of our patio, just below the only real open ground we have. It's the sunniest spot on the patio and over the years I've used it for cucumbers, courgettes, early peas and tomatoes. Just next to it, nestled between the bed and the brick steps leading up to the higher ground, there is enough space for a few pots. For a number of years it housed a small fruit tree that never took off, but last year I decided to create a stepped shelf affair. A sunny home for some of our tomatoes and a lone pepper plant. I assembled this staging out of old decking boards that had been ripped up when renovating the pit, but that still had some life in them. We propped the boards up on breeze blocks that Mr M walked back from the local DIY store two blocks at a time, and so doing managed to lift the pots off the ground by one to two foot. This may sound trivial, but every four inches of height moves plants closer to the sun in our dark garden. You see, with a northeasterly aspect, our garden is quite shady in spring and autumn when the arc of the sun is low. But this extra height didn't just help the plants, it also improved the overall look of the garden. Garden designers often talk about playing with heights of planting. It's a tried and tested principle used by decades of gardeners creating beds and borders with interest and depth by varying the height of the plants. But it can also work in a tiny patio garden. So buoyed by that experience, Mr M and I set about moving existing pots and shelves and eking out the recycled decking boards we had and as few breeze blocks as possible. With minimal new materials, I managed to raise half of the shelf in Tomato Lane, the slim strip against our sunny back wall, so that our tomato plants will reach well above the flower bed and add colour to the back wall. At the opposite end of the garden, at the darkest end of the patio, I raised part of the shaded shelf by creating a graduated step up from the lower corner of the patio to the fence. 
This not only allowed me to draw a little more light into this shady area, it also created a divide between the patio and the pit, the dark lower ground floor reaches of the garden. The ugly Dalek-shaped compost bin currently forms the highest point of this makeshift wall, but our next job is to move it to the pit and replace it with a mini apple tree to extend this living tiered wall and create a lush green nook for our little seating area. In recent weeks, the gardening proper has started with a mix of seed sowing and potting on. Most of the seed sowing is happening indoors at this stage on every available windowsill on the south-facing side of our home. There's been a steady procession of sowing tomatoes, lamb's lettuce salad and patty pan squashes, as well as calendula and phlox. I've also started a liberal number of nasturtium seeds. This jolly bright flower in shades of zingy yellow, rust and maroon has edible petals and leaves, but also acts as a sacrificial crop, attracting blackfly in the hope that they will stay off the beans. Also, as I will have more pots at different heights this year, I can train the nasturtium down pots and raised beds to soften the edges. I've also sown a new-to-me crop this year, the trombocino squash. Despite their reputation as zealous croppers, in recent years I've not had much luck with courgettes. They are a staple in my summer diet, but can be quite half-hearted in our garden, never delivering the gluts they are known for. As these plants are serious spreaders, I decided to adopt a different tack this year and try to grow the trombone-shaped squash that can be eaten as courgettes when they are young and marrows as they age. As Trombocino is a climber, it has a small footprint, so if I get a crop, it will be a welcome produce from a limited square footage, and if it flops, I won't have sacrificed too much precious space or compost. The other task this month has been to pot on the cuttings that I took last year. Raising plant from seed never ceases to delight me, but in recent years I've been extending my propagating skills by taking cuttings, not only to create new plants for free, but also as an insurance against losing plants in cold winters or baking summers. For many months, small cuttings have sat in pots on the windowsill, nestled up against the edge of pots filled with a compost perlite mix. Perlite is a light, airy, non-crystalline volcanic glass that you add to the soil mixes in pots to create an open, free-draining structure. When taking cuttings, you need a mix of hope and patience. Hope that the cutting will survive long enough for it to form tiny roots, which will allow it to hold its own. When you start to see fresh green growth, you know the seedling has started to sprout roots, and it has a fighting chance of coming through the process and patience to allow the cutting to develop a strong enough root system before potting it on. I generally wait until I see a hint of wispy roots peeping out through the drainage holes before moving cuttings onto new pots with fresh compost mix. Potting cuttings on is not just a matter of giving them fresh soil and more space, it is part of a musical pot system that happens in spring and early summer. To maximise compost shelves and sun, I generally start seeds and cutting in tiny pots or modules, and with limited space and funds, I need to free up these pots ready for the next sowing. There's also an environmental incentive to free up these nursery pots as soon as possible, rather than buy new ones. These days, most pots are made of plastic, so it makes sense to have as few as possible and reuse them, with a good scrub in between, of course, as often plastic pots can't be recycled. The urge to free up small pots as soon as possible is even stronger this year as garden centres have closed as part of the COVID-19 restrictions. 
So last weekend I freed up a warm sunny space in my plant nursery, aka the windowsill, by potting on scented geranium cuttings and moving them to the kindergarten shelf. I also potted on the rosemary cuttings, and as rosemary is a pretty hardy herb, I actually managed to move it out altogether, nestling the cuttings in between other pots against a sunny back wall. As well as filling up the sills with seed trays and seedlings, another kind of life is brewing on the kitchen windowsill. In my eagerness to have healthy, tasty veg to hand, even if supplies become erratic in the coming weeks, I made a fresh batch of sauerkraut. Real sauerkraut, or fermented cabbage, rather than cabbage pickled in salt and water brine, is not only full of good bacteria, it retains a degree of crunch compared to blanched and frozen cabbage that is then boiled or steamed. I know that food texture is a deeply personal thing, but I've always preferred my vegetables to be al dente and chewy rather than boiled into oblivion or processed into mush, the only exception being mushy marifat peas, of course. I used a hispy cabbage, a pale green, tightly packed conical variety. I weighed it before starting and then shredded it as finely as possible with a kitchen knife. Next I pounded it in a large bowl with a pinch of salt using a wooden rolling pin. But if you don't have one you can squeeze the cabbage between your hands. This pounding starts to break down the molecular structures in the cabbage so it releases the natural juices. At this stage you could just stir in 2% salt but I like to add grated carrot, garlic and ginger for extra interest, flavour and vegetable goodness. I then added 2% salt of the overall weight of the cabbage and carrots and pounded everything once more. The key to lactic acid fermentation is to exclude air, so I packed the sauerkraut into a jar so tightly that the natural brine of the mix seeped out. I then weighted the mix down so it sat below the level of the brine using a smaller jam jar filled with water. In the days that followed, little air bubbles travelled up through the brine as the sauerkraut mix fermented. I keep it on my windowsill along with the bubbling sourdough starter, pots of herbs and more plant cuttings so I could keep an eye on its progress. As I view the garden and gardening as an extension of my pantry and cooking, I love seeing living plants sitting cheek by jowl with live ingredients on my living windowsill. That's about it for today. As always, there are show notes including photos of my garden on my blog, Mrs M's Curiosity Cabinet. As a small bonus, I've also shot a little footage of my garden. You can find this on YouTube by searching under Mrs M's scrapbook, or you'll find a link to it in the show notes. And if you want to follow my making between episodes, you can find me on Instagram as Mrs M Curiosity Cabinet, and that is with an underscore between each word. Please do take care of yourself and your loved ones. Do all you can to minimise spreading this virus and supporting others in whatever ways you can. I think even the most self-contained homebodies amongst us are starting to realise how much we actually value companionship and camaraderie at this time. So be kind to yourself and each other. Till the next time.